As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, one 800 327 5050 in Massachusetts, 1 800 bets off in Iowa, and 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code Just Baseball and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Game one of the ALCS goes the way of the Texas Rangers in a way that we were not expecting. Two nothing, the final score. What? Jack Peter, just baseball show for Monday, October 16th. We talked to Walker Bueller. We kind of give the ALCS and NLCS preview. Um, but off the top, we're going to recap game one of the ALCS. And then at the tail end, we are going to preview game one of the NLCS and a quick preview of game two of the ALCS. We just got done watching Jordan Montgomery shove against the Houston Astros. And what was it, first time this postseason that both starting pitchers have thrown into the seventh inning? We're in a new age in baseball, and Verlander, he threw well. Jamont threw better. And this Ranger defense, man, obviously we're going to talk takeaway by takeaway, but... Evan Carter, the Ranger defense, and Jordan Montgomery were the thing that just stole the show for me. Absolutely. And before we get into everything, remember, we are brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Use promo code JustBaseball when you sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, A-Rod was right, Jack. Bruce Bochy, Dusty Baker. Finally, there are managers who aren't using the analytics. Nice. And the other managers, they don't want their starting pitchers to go more than five innings. So the guys who put the iPads down reign supreme, according to A-Rod and myself. That's awesome. No, I'm happy for you, for the most part, because it is about you. Um, Obviously. But... Yeah, that sucks, and I don't – here's my thing. <laughs> if you hate baseball, you can turn it off. That's okay. That's fine. Like, it does seem like when these guys talk about the game, now they hate it. They it's hate like, it. Wait, can we just – And I'm like – Getting hyped, and they're using it as like a stand to be like, this is why analytics doesn't work. Analytics is the scapegoat word ever, but that's not a new conversation. But I also don't even want to debate it. I just want to enjoy the game. No, we've already done it fucking 40 times this year. I'm good. Um, They both went deep. Jaymont was really good. And um, are is the is the zone chart on game day considered analytics? Is using my iPad to track the game? Is watching the game on TV considered analytics? I'm not sure. Because well, it does take tech to do that. Well, think about it. The original analytics are batting average. 
and home runs. They're, yeah, those they're suck. numbers. Those what, RBIs those suck. Those um, do suck. Man, I what I will say is looking at the zone chart between Jordan Montgomery and Jordan Alvarez, that is a work of art. And you can hang it in my Louvre, not the Louvre, but mine. That guy did not give him anything, and he punched him out three times. That was the perfect plan of attack against the closest thing that we've got to Barry Bonds right now. The balls on that man. <laughs> I posted on Twitter, Jordan Montgomery with the Randy Marsh, me- Randy Marsh meme, just with the wheelbarrow with his nutsack into it. The same guy the New York Yankees didn't deem was a part of their postseason plans. Jordan Montgomery lit it up again. And what should the scouting report be against Jordan Alvarez going into the series? He crushes lefties. So your left on left thing won't really matter. Let's pitch away from him. Let's not give him anything to hit. Jordan Montgomery. And I thought, I, I forget if it was the second or third at bat, but it's 2-0 to Jordan. And instead of kind of pitching around him, right? Because that that two, when it was 2-0, the second ball was right at the bottom of the zone, arguably could have been a strike. What does Jaymont do? Instead of just throwing a curveball, maybe get him off it, fastball, right? Fastball right on the downward part of the zone, but right in the middle of it just went after him and after him and went after everyone. The Rangers played fearless and they came out a winner. Shout out Jordan Montgomery. Shout out Jamon. Shout out Evan Carter, who also kind of embodied fearlessness last night. And Carter had a couple of outstanding catches and a couple of great catches that were a level below outstanding. Like I'm thinking I think it was Altuve that roped a ball down the left field line. Might have been Bregman that roped a ball down the left field line. And Carter just got a great jump. And he was yeah. he was on the foul line to make the grab on the liner. He looked so comfortable. Mm-hmm. And obviously the play that is going to reign in you know everybody's heads is Altuve missing second base. And that was an out. You could see it on the last replay they showed. That was pretty clear. It was an out. He did not touch second base on the way around. Um, But Carter to get to that spot in left center in Houston and make that catch leaping was so impressive from a rookie in the ALCS. My first thought after that play happened was, I really hope like Josh Young or Leody Tavares or Jonah Heim says, ha ha. At a boy, at a boy, Jose. <laughs> I just want something like that to happen because we need some of that in both of these series. But Evan Carter, in his post game interview, they asked him like, "How are you doing?" I mean, this is a lot. You're in your first postseason, right? His immediate answer, and this is why I think he's going to be totally fine. He's not taking this too seriously, and I mean that in the best way possible. His answer was, "Oh man, this is so much fun." It'd be like my dumbass just being like, this is amazing. This is the best. And that's a great mindset to have. He's just going out there and playing his game. That's why you don't see him going out of his approach. You don't see him getting nervous out there in left field. And to your point, it's hard to say, yeah, the catches were so great, right? Because you see him camped under the ball in deep left field. And he makes the leap or it's a running catch. It wasn't a dive. It's the instinct. It's jumping at the route it's not waiting around getting all nervous while you sit there he's trusting his instinct he's going right after the ball so those catches may not look great it's because he's getting such great jumps on him because he's not nervous because he's just having fun out there and that's what's making him roll they still look great I I think several of those like did look great and the closing speed was good and he timed his jumps and he played the walls really well playing left field at at Minute Maid is a very tough task. It's, I don't want to say it's the second hardest left after Fenway, but it's totally up there. And like with the weird turns that it makes and that high wall, that short wall, it could be the second hardest left field after Fenway Park. Um, Leody Tavares hit a ball that, according to Jack Vision, went about 500 feet. Peter Vision probably had that at like 550. It was 398, but... He sold it. He did his job out of the batter's box. Uh, That looked strong. And that 
it didn't feel like the game was over at that point because it took Chapman getting out of the eighth to fully convince me that the game was over. Leclerc has been awesome. Like like Leclerc has been excellent, but that ball that Bregman hit off of Chapman, I was like, wow, here we go again, man. We're going to get the, we're going to get the smirk again. He hates this place in the ALCS, Um, but not the case because Carter made a great catch, but that Leody Tavares Homer coming from the nine spot, that was almost poetic coming from the Rangers. Hey, they start off the biggest series of the last, what, decade for them. They were last in the World Series in 2011. This, this is the feels, This feels bigger than that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I wonder if you ask Rangers fans, is this bigger than that World Series facing the Astros Lone Star Series in no. the ALCS? No. Might feel bigger to them. I'd be, I'd no. be interested. I'd be interested. No, here's the thing, man. You're you, saying no, let them answer. Just you say double let them the stakes answer. in the World Series. That's a clear no. Um, but man, like this is a huge moment. This is the biggest moment for Rangers baseball, I think, in a decade. And Leone Tavares, the nine hitter who hit about 300 going into the all-star break, was the one that delivered that final blow. I, I thought that was perfect for the situation. I like how you said it's poetic for the Rangers because it's exactly right. What have we been saying all year about the Rangers? It's from one to nine. There is no breaks. And again, we saw it in this game. Marcus Semien, Corey Seager, Mitch Garver, Adolis Garcia, the one through four hitters in this lineup. They went and combined one for 12. Marcus Semien has not been good in this postseason. You know, I posted about Leody Tavares on my Twitter and I said, where are the Where's the break in this lineup? And all the comments are, it's Semyon, which is so insane. And I expect Semyon to kick it back up a notch, but he is hitting 148 in this postseason. But moving down the line, Evan Carter won for the run. He was responsible for getting on base first, and then Jonah Heim drove him in, who also went one for three. Now, Nathaniel Lowe went 0 for 4, but it's okay, because Josh Young went one for three, and Leo D. Tavares went two for two. So all the production came from the bottom of their lineup. Jack, if I told you before the game started, it was Jordan Montgomery versus Justin Verlander, and the Rangers front four were going one for 12, you'd probably pick the Astros, right? But that's how dangerous this Rangers offense is. And even though they only scored two, and the story is normally the Rangers offense, the story is truly Jordan Montgomery going into minute made and dominating like that. Just incredible stuff from him. Yeah, so I I thought Seager was going to have a big day. I thought Mitch Garver was actually going to have a big day because I know Mitch Garver has struggled with Verlander throughout his career, but Garver hammered fastballs. What? He's He's just so hot right now. It's almost like it doesn't really matter the pitcher. If these guys are hot, you're just seeing the ball well. He's hot, and this guy was a fastball masher all year. It was, what, 18 pumps in 87 games. And, I I mean, he killed fastballs. And Verlander is – rocking a 50% fastball clip right now. But he had a plan of attack against Garver. He got it done. Seager obviously ambushed him for a hit in the first, but that was that. Like, that was the only hit from the front four in that lineup. So I I would say, like, yes, I think the Astros steamroll, if it's Jamont versus Verlander and the top four combined for one hit, but that's totally discounting what the Rangers have done this year. And they've won games where the top four disappears. Um I think Seager is going to need to play a huge part in this series moving forward. I think Semyon is going to need to step up big time. I think Mitch Garver is going to need to step up big time. But the fact that Haim and Carter and Leody stepped up can win them like games in a vacuum. It's not going to win them a series, but it's going to win them games. And all of a sudden, you win four games, you're going to the World Series. Then it's Eovaldi versus Framber. And who do we really have more faith in right now? Eovaldi. Yep. And it's not close. It's not close. And so funny, I was going through the game logs of both of them. Just I wanted to see how they've done against each opposing team. And Framber's had a dominant start against the Rangers. Then two blowups. Eovaldi's had a dominant start against the Astros. Then he couldn't get out of the second inning. <laughs> Five earned in his last start against them. We really truly don't know what we're going to get. But I know that I have more faith in Nathan Eovaldi than I do Framber Valdez right now. However, Jack, don't you think Framber's kind of due for one of those performances in the playoffs where we just sit back and wonder how anybody hits a 97-mile-an-hour sinker with that curveball? Yes. With curveball spinning at 5,000 RPMs and all of Twitter thinks he's cheating? I yeah. feel like we're due for one of those. 
We are totally due for one of those. And considering Dusty just deployed a Neris and a Brayu in game one, and you got to go back-to-back nights with the ball game, tomorrow night, Fromber for eight and Presley for the ninth makes a lot of sense. The thing is, like, the Rangers can hit him. So that's why I think it's it's a tough one to pick because, yes, Framber is due for one of these just. You know, throw the laptop, throw the iPad out. What what does Dusty Baker feel? What does Bochi feel? True. Tell me what tell me what your what your gut's feeling right now. My gut says that Evaldi outduels Framber. I think that Framber is not the same guy he was last year, but I don't think the Rangers bludgeon him. I just have a lot of respect for Nathan Evaldi right now. I think that's mostly what it's coming from. It's not an indictment on Framber, it's a belief in Evaldi. And if the Rangers can win these games without scoring much runs and this bullpen, right? That was my one concern, right? We recorded the Walker interview before we found out this game. And I said, well, Chapman's going to come up in a big spot against maybe Jordan or someone. And it was Bregman, but Evan Carter made that great catch. Like if the bullpen is locking it down, I don't know how anybody's beating the Rangers. And again, not an indictment on the Astros. It's just this team is unbelievable. Bree LeClerc, though. I have worries. That was a deep fly ball from Bregman <laughs> against Chapman. Was Spores was a Walenda tightrope act. Again, I still have concerns. Like, that didn't do anything for me. Me too. But, like, what am I supposed to say when they're doing the job? Job well done. It's Tip almost the like cat. the Diamondbacks bullpen. I kept saying, oh, well, one of these days, Dodgers are going to get to that Diamondbacks bullpen, and they just didn't. And then like it maybe, didn't And nobody's really gotten to the Rangers bullpen yet either. Maybe they just don't, and they just all pitch well. Yeah. And there's another like, deep fly that's caught again. We're just like, well. Maybe. Maybe. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. All right. Walker Bueller, right now, we're going to preview NLCS game one at, at the end of the podcast after Bueller. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, back to preview the ALCS and the NLCS with Walker Bueller. I've got Weller that I got sporting <laughs> right now, thanks to our friends at Buffalo Trace. What you got going? Anything? No, I had a long, long day yesterday. We uh, we went to the races early and then tailgate. So uh, today's a, a day off for me. Is it Keeneland season or are we oh, yeah. at Keeneland weekends? It's it's full on Keeneland season right now. Yeah. Okay. It's the best. You gotta go see Dr. K. Dr. K. I love I it. I don't have any I don't have any bourbon either. Should I go get a glass? Maybe you can ask a question and I'll just go grab one. It's too late. Go for it. <laughs> too late. It's too late. All right, fine. So here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna go through the two NL teams they get going tonight. Um AL side got going last night, Rangers and Astros in Houston. Uh, we're recording before we get a result in the ALCS. So we are going to end it with, you know, a couple thoughts and get, you know, Bueller's prediction here, but um, kind of want to walk through team by team and we'll start in the National League side. And, and I think like the prevailing story in baseball and kind of the one that's cross pollinating sports is the Phillies and the vibes that the Phillies yep. have going right now. And the Castellanos fun and the Harper fun and, you know, that stat grand slam is still jumping out to some people. So, you know, the last couple weeks when you've watched the Phillies, what's kind of your takeaway from a pitching lens and also from just an overall baseball fan lens? Yeah. I mean, I think kind of the overwhelming thought for me on their team, they just have a lot of you know professional baseball players. Right. And, and I know Harper, touched on it and was like, that's why you pay these guys. And, you know, that's one way to look at it. There's also just a lot of guys that have played a lot of, you know, important major league baseball games and and have played for a long time. And so, um, you know, you can kind of see where whatever nerves or increase in atmosphere they're, they're taking it and and pulling positives out of it. And it's, it's not going to shrink them. Obviously we saw, them make this kind of run like this last year and um, seemingly do it and doing it again. So uh, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of pros and, and a lot of guys that, that have handled the moment. Well, beyond just the players on the field too, I was at game four and the stadium itself was yeah. a different kind of experience. The only thing I can really relate it to is that WBC final between yeah. the USA and Japan, just, you can feel the stadium kind of like in Seattle. They were the right. 12th man in the Legion of Boom days. 
you gotta feel a certain level when you walk into Citizens Bank Park that well, because everybody on the field is really talented, right? The Braves have plenty of talent too, but it's gotta be another level going into Citizens Bank Park right now. Yeah, I mean, all all those guys, you can see it in the celebration, you can see it in how they <clears throat> talk about going home, you can see it in you know, they're wearing matching stuff to the field and, and there's just a there's an energy to it and a kind of embracing the the moment and and obviously that you know I think it goes both ways it comes from the fans and then I think it also the fans feel it from the team and um yeah it's always been a great sports town and and that team is is obviously in the past two years been you know has made playoff baseball there really exciting you've thrown in yeah oh no I was just gonna say outside of Dodger Stadium because of course when you're at home you can feel the energy and you feel like you can run through a brick wall Throughout your entire career, even maybe dating back to your time in college, because playing in the SEC, the fans are also insane. Have you ever felt that in one start during your career that the crowd was bigger than maybe you anticipated or that you could feel it more than another start? Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think probably back to my rookie year, that whole kind of playoffs, I was new Atlanta. I gave up the Grand Slam to Acuna. That was a you could feel it, obviously, then. Um, Milwaukee, we had all the stuff with Machado and he stepped on Aguilar's foot. And so Milwaukee got really interesting there. And it, that's just an interesting stadium in general. It almost, uh, you know, they're cooking the sausages and it smells and, and it just has a weird thing and it's in the dome. But the weird thing in Milwaukee is it's almost got like a haze in there. It's like, uh, you know, like if you go into an old bar and it's like there's smoke in there from 30 years ago, like. Feel that feeling that's kind of what Milwaukee has a little bit sometimes. Um, so those are probably the two that kind of struck me first, I guess, in my career. New Atlanta, they with the lights and the chop and all that stuff, there's there's definitely an atmosphere there. And um, you know, Wrigley at night is kind of always like that as well, especially you know, they try and schedule us on the weekends and it's always a big series and there was some a lot of guys that played against them in the in the playoffs before I got there, and so yeah. that place always has a little, little something to it. Quick aside, because aroma is something that like I've entirely phased out. I've become immune to ballpark smells. Right. Working in a ballpark every night, like is Milwaukee unique, or do you actually smell ballpark at home in LA? No, I mean, I it, like that's not a thing. No, I mean you think all of the kind of Wisconsin food, right? You think cheese curds and peppers and onions and it's a dome and so everything stays in there and there's just a thing to it i don't know do you like it or no i i like playing there you know i don't know there's just something there's something different i mean i think the dome is part of that all the domes kind of have a, a different feeling to them but um none of them really have that kind of smog in there a little bit got you so you have been to several postseasons you've thrown well in several postseasons um each postseason it feels like there's a guy that kind of jumps out and Mm -hmm. we'll talk Alvarez we'll talk Seager who I know you're probably thrilled to see doing it on the American League side but a Harper and a Castellanos Nick's just really hot right now but Harper this is a consistent thing he levels up in the postseason how do you as a big league pitcher kind of see Bryce Harper and combat that if you're facing him in the postseason yeah, I mean, he's had he's had a lot of success off of me, obviously, especially early in my career. It was super, super velocity dependent, and he's a guy that can handle velo. And so, um, you know, right on left can hit breaking balls. And, you know, I think you see guys trying to throw him sliders under him, which is is a way to get him. Um, but you get a little too much adrenaline, you get a little – that ball's four inches too high, and he's going to put it in the seats. And, you know, we saw that with the strider at bat. I, I saw something where – it was, he almost landed like the same seat on the same pitch a couple weeks apart. But, you know, that's how you have to attack him. And, and our game comes down to executing those kind of plans. And, and he's talented enough. You know, obviously, we all remember, you know, him on, uh, you know, on everything for, for forever. And, um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's just talented. And, and I think Nick has kind of always been like that. I played with him in the All-Star game one year. And, you know, he just has these runs that are, are different, right? he can just do you know he won't hit a homer for a month and then he'll hit six in two games it's like it's it's just a different deal but 
was a really nice dude to me. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like any of these people being good, but yeah. there's definitely some, uh, there's definitely some cool stories. And I think in Philly, the thing we don't talk about enough is Wheeler and, and what he's been doing the past couple of playoffs. And he was in New York for a long time and didn't really pitch in those big games as much. And now these past two years, he's really, really kind of put himself in that. Who would you want in a huge game? I think Zach Wheeler has to be in, in that conversation. For sure. I'm really glad I'm really glad you brought up Wheeler because sometimes when um I say playoff Wheeler all the time and fans ask me explain that like what is he doing differently and for a guy who's been in these exact situations mm-hmm. and dominated in these situations it's probably hard to define the zone but guys like Wheeler guys like Harper are in the zone right now so just from what you're seeing from Wheeler just watching him from the outside looking in but then also trying to explain what the zone is. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if you've never felt that kind of thing, it's hard to, I don't want to say hard to put in words. That feels really cheesy to me, but it is hard to describe. I think the easiest thing I can describe with Wheeler is he has so much margin for error relative to some other guys. He's a really big dude. He gets really extended. The velocity is huge. Um, it's mostly based on that. It's a four seamer, the little two seamer and the slider. So everything's fast until when guys aren't ready for kind of the playoffs or they're too amped up and everything starts speeding up. They've even less time against him. And, and, you know, I've, I've told a lot of people the hardest ball I've ever seen thrown when I was hitting was by him and I I couldn't see it. And so I can't imagine in a playoff, you know, two outs, man on second, whatever scenario, like how firm some of the stuff he throws can look. And, um, you know, I think it makes sense outside of even his heartbeat or his personality or whatever. Um, I think his pitch mix is just really, really tough in in big games. And I feel like he's putting his fastball wherever he wants in his postseason yep. starts, which is a whole nother layer. Um, we're going to move to the Diamondbacks in a moment. But if I were to put together like a top five of guys I want to hear in a postgame interview, you're in the top five. Castellanos is also in the top five. Um, listen, I, I know you've had some moments. You know you've had some moments. Castellanos had a couple of electric moments. Yep. Who else rounds out the top five? Anybody jump to your mind that it's like, I got to hear this guy when he's on a mic? Oof. Uh, not really. I mean, it's more the moment and certain guys doing it at the right times, right? I think Kike always has yeah. some good stuff. Um He'll drop some stuff though that like only guys he play with, he's played with, kind of really understand. Which for me is fun. I've been watching some of my buddies, like Jock. I think will say some things. Cody will say some things that that are funny to us, I guess. But I think we probably look at it a little bit differently than than the public. For sure. Um, jumping to Arizona here, they you know obviously had a tremendous series and. You know, they, they kind of won in all phases and Gallon threw really well and Kelly threw really well in game one. But Gabby Moreno, Carroll, Alec Thomas, like it's these young bats that are here for the very first time that, yeah. you know, kind of like bludgeoned what Dodger pitching, which was crazy. Yeah. Um, what did you see from that offense? Because obviously you were tuned in to every single pitch. Do you feel like this is sustainable going against Philly? Yeah, I mean, we'll see, uh, you know. Obviously, the way Wheeler and and Nola are throwing the ball, you you gotta like, you know, believe that they're gonna throw the ball well. Um, but Arizona, they just have that that young kind of. To me, young has that little bit of unpredictability to it, and so maybe something on a scouting report they're sitting on, or they do some things that that maybe veterans who are super in their ways don't do quite as much. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that series against us is just hard. Like it's just, we never got footing, right. You, you feel like if we won one of the first two games, it's probably a different scenario, but you know, I guess, hat, you know, I think hats off to them to, to play us at a team that's been there, done it a lot. And, and to sweep us, I, I think is a big deal and, and should give those guys a lot of confidence going into this series. Two things I underrated about the Diamondbacks going into that series against the Dodgers was first of all, I just think they're, general fearlessness like going Mm -hmm. in they didn't seem phased in in really any aspect of the game and then number two because I thought they were going to hit 
maybe I didn't think they were going to hit with that kind of power. I knew Gallon and Kelly, those guys would show up. But the bullpen, I thought, yeah. was incredibly impressive, right? Going into that, we talked about Paul Seawald, right? But we didn't really talk about Kevin Ginkle, right? We didn't mm-hmm. really talk about the the middling guys in that bullpen who really shut it down for the series. But then we're doing really well in the second half. I think they're going to play a key factor in this playoffs, too, because as good as Wheeler and Nola are performing, so are Gallon and Kelly. I yeah. guess what was what was something that you didn't really realize about the Dimebacks that you saw come to fruition in this series? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of piggybacking on what you're saying, but you know, when you get into to certain series and you've got your one or your two throwing, obviously a, a higher percentage of those games than they would in a regular season, right? Your number one starter is going to throw 32 games, but if you play five game series, he might throw two games in that five or whatever. Is I, I feel like in Arizona they've had this is the first year they've had starting pitching that really consistently gets them deep into games. Like Kevin Ginkle has been there a long time been kind of up and down been a guy they've made through two or three innings and stuff like that before. And now he's kind of having these short bursts and, and obviously, you know, his stuff over 40 pitches isn't as good as it is over 15. And so these guys have kind of have like full on roles where they maybe haven't had that the past few years. And, um, you know, that can really help certain guys. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, interesting mix of of players they have over there, but obviously they're doing something right. Aside from Evan Longoria, and I'm probably missing, you know, another like seventh inning reliever, that kind of guy. Yeah. This is the first rodeo in the postseason for all of them. And, yeah. you know, I'm not sure if you can remember any like pros as opposed to cons when, you know, you made your first trip to the postseason. Could uh-huh. ignorance be a pro? Like, I, I think the common thinking is the more postseasons you go to, the more comfortable you are and the better you will be. Right. But is that entirely the case? Like, is there something about being a postseason rookie that can fire you up in a different way? Like, how do you think they captured this? Yeah. I mean, it, I don't like saying like freight, like ignorance is bliss and all that stuff, but yeah, um, there's something to like not having the scars of it either. Right. Like, you know, you play in the playoffs enough, like you're probably not going to win a world series every year. So you have lost in the playoffs or you failed in the playoffs. Like, I feel like at least for me, every time that that has happened, like it, it like stays with you. Right. So yeah, you have the same excitement or close to, you, you probably never have the same excitement as you do your first playoffs, but like, that's what we do. That's what we do this for. Right. So, but then you, that excitement has a little curb of like, I was this excited last time and, and it didn't go so good. Right. And so um, I think there's just less hesitation, maybe um, less kind of mental hurdles that you have to like convince yourself that it's going to go good and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times we talk about young teams or inexperienced teams as a, as a negative in terms of they're going to make mistakes or it'll be too big for them. So I, I think in some way, if it's not too big for them, that inexperience can be a can be a benefit. Yeah. I'm also curious, too, because, you know, throughout the series against the Dodgers, for them, at least, like there wasn't really that kind of kick in the mouth. I'm curious when they, if they go into Citizens Bank Park, how yeah. they respond to that type of energy, because it's it's easy to look fearless when, you know, you got a lead. But let's see how you do when it's 2-0 in the fifth inning and they're starting to bring in all those bullpen arms. But I still do think that the Dimebacks are going to be sneaky in this series. I think a lot of people think that the Phillies are just kind of going to steamroll them. But at the same time, the Phillies, right, they've always been the underdog. They've always been the hated team, right? Going against the Braves, a lot of people were picking against them. Now they're the favorite. Do they sit there kind of fat and happy and think, oh, did they lose a little bit of that edge and did the Diamondbacks keep it? So no, I think I it's going to be kind of a clash. You disagree? No, they're, ha- they're having too much fun, man. I-, I think the edge is one thing to play the underdog, right? But when you can, we can smell it again and you're close to the world series again. I think it's, it's less about, they're just having a lot of fun playing together. And, and I think that in some way is, is kind of a, a similar thing as just being like real chip on the shoulder. You know what I mean? I think, that's a good point. When you're playing with a group of guys that you really enjoy with, like it's hard to to not like be able to buckle down, right? Like it's not about oh, I want to get a hit, right? 
Yeah. No, so, you're totally right. I guess just my main takeaway from from watching that series is I just can't count out these snakes anymore. I can't do it. <laughs> They're just sneaky. They just they they get up and they bite. So I'm trying to look for just other ways of how I could see the Phillies laying down a little bit. My brain says the Phillies win in four, <laughs> but the Diamondbacks keep surprising us. So I'm done sleeping on them. So yeah, we'll see. I don't I don't know if I'm doing any more. Uh game number predictions anymore <laughs> no game number okay we'll, we'll see i said phillies in five and a highly competitive five i don't want the five to be misleading because that sounds lopsided i don't think so i just think it's going to come down and they're going to be five tight games and the phillies win yeah. four of those five peter has yet to give a game prediction so peter quick game prediction and then you can decide if you want to do one or you can just tell me to move on to the rangers jackass <laughs> No, I will go Phillies in six. I think the Phillies get a win game one. I think the D-backs steal one in Citizens Bank. Then I think it's another 2-2. Two, two. No, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to go. Phillies in six. <laughs> um, We have five, six. I'll take Phillies in seven. Phillies in seven. Okay. Um, The Rangers. As we record right now, they are uh, midway through game one against Houston. They lead one nothing in the top of the third. Um, but, you know, as much as we can throw that out of the window, let's let's throw it out the window. The Rangers, they got here by hitting the crap out of the baseball against Tampa. And they got here, you know, for 162 and then against Tampa in the wild card and then against Baltimore as well. This offense is firing on all cylinders, and your guy Corey got the Barry Bonds treatment against yep. Baltimore. That cat walking five times. Did you shoot him a text after that? Like you had no. to say something to him. Man. He wouldn't respond anyway. No, he. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean he's a talented. He's a really, really talented human, and and disciplined, and has an approach. Knows what he's trying to do. But uh, you know, I think one of the interesting things is we see him swing oh oh so much. Right? And I remember talking to somebody about this. I think it was Gomer maybe, but after OO, he's like one of the most disciplined hitters in the game. Mm-hmm. But on OO, he swings at like 98% of strikes or something. So it it's just, if you get past OO, he's he's not the same. Um, I don't want to say he's not the same hitter because he, he's still unbelievable. It's uh, yeah. like his approach is just drastically different. And um, yeah, if you don't throw him strikes, he won't swing. Damn. Another playoff pitcher that I've been really impressed with. We talk about Wheeler being in the zone, but Nathan Eovaldi, man, just yep. back-to-back dominant starts. The fastball's all the way back. And just him being in Texas feels like a good look. Yep. It just feels right, kind of like when they say Bryce Harper matches Philly. Nathan Eovaldi matches Texas. Right. What have you seen from Eovaldi so far? I think it's interesting, man. I, you know, I, we talked about, Texas being kind of they've been hitting and whatever but before the season they were paying six starting pitchers right and now they went out and got two more and and still the one guy that we probably weren't talking about as much obviously DeGrom and all these guys but was was Evaldi and so uh, he's always been a playoff guy and, and seemingly loves it and it's just cool to see him kind of evolve that splitters a new thing and um, typically guys that have had another Tommy John won't start throwing a splitter but he kind of, you know, kicked that in the mouth, and it's pretty. It's been pretty cool to watch. Feels like they have guys that are are ready to just go out and like try and get outs. It's it's a very Bruce Bochy thing, and I'm not saying yeah. that like any pitcher goes out there and says, you know what, like I'm gonna kind of get deep in counts. Like everybody wants yeah. to get a bunch of outs, but Ivaldi is that bulldog competitor. Yeah. Scherzer just got added to the ALCS roster. Yep. Scherzer's a guy that's been hampered all year. He's, you know, obviously showing signs of age for pretty much the first time in his career. What do you expect from guys like this as like the wear and tear of a season couples with them being in their mid to late thirties? Are they just emptying the tank? Like Max Scherzer, what is that guy thinking mentally when he gets the ball game three? Yeah. I mean, I know he talked about, he had some light bulb moment in the bullpen and, and, that's interesting. And then he had the through a sim game, I guess. So I, I you know, not being there, I I don't really know what to expect in terms of pitch count or yeah, you know, expected length. Obviously, you know, I don't know how long that sim game was. So that kind of dictates a lot going forward, especially he's been out a couple weeks. So uh, 
you know, we'll see. He's still Max Scherzer, and um, he's still, you know, probably a walking Hall of Famer, and, and obviously you're going to put the guy on your team if he says he can go. So um, I'm going to hold a little uh, bit of judgment back on that one. We're just going to have to kind of see see where he's at. For sure. I really want to ask you about someone a little bit younger. Evan Carter has also mm. been a stud rookie outfielder. Yeah. Felt like he was, you know, in the minor leagues a couple of minutes ago, and now he's on the bright stage and hitting fifth in this electric Rangers offense. Yeah. Yeah. I faced him in triple. Oh yeah, you did. Wow. You scored against Round Rock. So that was Evan Carter and what Foscue. There, there were some studs on that team. What did you think was... of him when you saw uh, I mean, not much. He swung at the first pitch that I'd thrown in a game in like 450 days. So, <laughs> what do you, uh, you do with it? I, I he got out. I forget what he did. Maybe he lined out, but yeah, I wasn't too thrilled. I thought I would like get to throw the ball and they throw it to the thing and whatever, and he just swung. But no, obviously, you know, I, I remember reading an article about him in spring, and there's you know been stuff coming out now about how he wasn't on. There was some scout in his area that was like, he's the only guy that I've ever seen and, you know, get drafted in the top five rounds and I had no idea who they were. And, you know, this is an area scout, right? And so, um, so kind of some alternative scouting or deep dive scout or whatever you want to do, but led them to, to get him. And he's made his way, made his way up quick and is obviously performing, but they, they seem to do a pretty good job. Uh, you know, they've had some pitchers, but, they seem to develop hitters pretty well down there, especially recently. Um, you know, you look through that lineup, a lot of those guys are really homegrown and, and the guys that are not necessarily carrying them. But when you pay a guy like Corey or Simeon, you expect them to carry you. But, you know, uh, what's the kid's name? Jung, Young, however you yeah. say it, Heim. You know, they might not come up there, but, like, they, they're they Texas Rangers, right? And, and so – and they've gotten a lot better since they've been there. And I think this kid's kind of the next one of, of that wave. Who's the deepest opposing lineup you've seen? Like, was there a certain, I don't know. I, I know the Rockies were really good when you first came up. Like, yeah. is there a certain team that jumps out? Like, one through nine, they can all get to me if I make a mistake. Because that's what we're seeing right now. Like, Young's hitting eighth. Leody's hitting ninth. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's been some really good ones. Um, Colorado in 18, I think it was just a lot of guys that growing up, you know their name, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Daniel Murphy was on that team, and uh, what was the guy's Ian, uh, the shortstop from Washington that played center field in Colorado, yeah. kept Ian Desmond. Ian Desmond, like there was just they had a lot of like cargo was still there, and so like that team felt really deep. 18 Boston was really deep. I think, uh, I think your dogs hate the Rockies, by the way. Yeah, yeah. they don't like them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, who else? I mean, the the Braves the past few years, I think, you know, you can't not not mention that team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind. I'm sure I'm forgetting some crazy lineup, but uh, yeah, there's some good ones. They've, I mean, it's it's part of it now. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot more ways to be a successful major league hitter now than there probably was ten years ago, at least perception wise. And so I think fans and organizations and everybody's getting you know, smarter in that way, right? Like Adam Dunn would have made $250 million now. <laughs> like, but he, he wasn't the prototype for that time. And, you know, Max Muncie is, is kind of that roller, walks a ton, hits a bunch of homers and, and strikes out some. Like that's a successful hitter. Everyone's afraid of him, right? But I think 15 years ago, he wouldn't be known as kind of the player that he is. In terms of the lineups left, because Phillies fans would say they have the best lineup. Diamondbacks fans are sitting there, be like, "We hit four home runs in an inning. How are we not the best lineup?" Rangers fans are like, "We've been had the best lineup." And then Astros fans are saying, "Well, we have Jordan Altuve, yeah. Tucker, for you, right?" Because I think you can make an argument, just you know, from the outside looking in, who has the best lineup based on the stats. But if you were starting against any of these lineups, which one do you think would be the toughest matchup for you? I mean, I think purely on kind of the guys that can win a game on their own, I, and especially a lot of them being left-handed. For me, Philly, I think, would probably be the, the toughest matchup of that, of the group. Because um, Harper, Schwarber both seen me pretty good. Bryson Stott seen me pretty good. There's just 
it's not necessarily like one is better or worse than the other. It's just for me, that matchup is probably the hardest of the three or of the four. But I also haven't faced kind of this new wave Arizona teams. These young guys haven't faced much. So I don't know. My gut would say Philly, but, uh, you know, I think they're the only ones that like their lineup as it stands. I've had like a, a decent amount of uh, experience with. So, you know, kind of like we we're saying the playoff thing, like they got some scars with, with Philly. So yeah, um, I'll go with them. Obviously Houston and, and what they've done the past, what, seven years, like they're doing something right over there or something, what they're doing something over there. Um so it's good, but you know, I, I Philly pride for me. Now jump into Houston. Um, I'm of the thinking that like, if it's you know feasible, if you've got a runner on base, you know maybe less than two outs. Like I'm just not pitching to Jordan Alvarez if I'm an opposing manager right now. And I know you as a pitcher are like, no, I'm gonna go kick his ass. But how do you attack Jordan Alvarez right now? Because it's hard enough in the regular season. I think he's sporting like a 990 career OPS. Yeah. Um, this guy somehow levels up in the last two postseasons. Yeah. When you watch Jordan Alvarez, are, are you sitting there as like spellbinded as everybody else that's sitting there watching him? Yeah, I mean, it, he seemingly hits everything hard, which is tough. It, um, <laughs> he seems to hit everything hard. It's tough. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it reminds me of Freddie when he was in Atlanta pitching against him in the playoffs where it's just hard to get him off off rhythm, off time, whatever you want to say. So I don't know. It would be a scouting deep dive, I think. But, you know, in, in certain situations, I remember we kind of scouted J.D. Martinez like that in 18 in the World Series. It was like, hey, he can't beat us. We got to get a ball up and close to him to kind of get him off the plate. So you know, I don't know if guys have really done that yet to him, but I, you know, without looking at all the numbers, I, I guess that would probably be the the first thing is try and get a ball close to him and, and hope it's not a strike and hope he doesn't hit it in the seats. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my follow up question because Jordan and Bryce Harper, I feel like, are the two guys that are just taking the postseason by storm, and not only just taking it by storm, but doing things on historic levels that we just don't see often. So I was hoping if you could divulge into a couple other guys that you felt were just completely unconscious, you kind of mentioned JD and you mentioned Freddie Freeman. Was there anybody else that has kind of come to mind? Yeah. Rosario in 21 with Atlanta. For Eddie, sure. Rosario? Eddie Rosario. Yeah. And LCS MVP yeah. in 21. True. True. But like, just the him saying Eddie Rosario, Bryce Harper, and Jordan Alvarez in the same sentence. Look is crazy. at this. Like I know what Eddie look did. At the numbers. And, yeah, the no, numbers. I, he he yeah. was bonds. That, in that the kind of fires me up now. Like Eddie Rosario <laughs> belongs to this conversation. Okay, I'm in it. Um, Corey in 2020. Yeah. Uh, he was on freeze, your side. Freeze whenever he played in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are kind of. The ones I can remember, we had a lot of guys play really well in 20. Cody had a couple of really big boy games and big boy swings. And um, Jock has always been a guy that's been really good in the playoffs and kind of, you know, those guys that kind of switch gears and, and go to a different place, I guess. Yeah, it's crazy to me. The Mount Rushmore of these guys, Corey Seager, Jordan Alvarez, Bryce Harper, and Eddie Rosario. I mean, what about Mount yeah. Rushmore? Pretty much. Um, bullpen wise it feels like it's impossible to square up Brian Abreu out of that yep. pen. And then Presley follows and he is the master of spin. It's what it's yep. 2,600 on the feeder. And then like 3000 on the curveball. Yep. How do you like, I, how do you feel as a Verlander or a Fromber or a Christian Javier saying, I just need to go six. Cause I hand it to yeah. whoever for the seventh and then Abreu for the eighth and Presley for the ninth. Yeah. I mean, obviously Super talented bullpen. Them and Philly both have have really big boy bullpens, and and we've kind of touched on the other ones already too. But yeah. just the way the game is right now, man, and, and especially in the playoffs where you kind of have that feeling of like let it eat all the time. It's about this five or seven games. You're you're going to see guys throwing a tick up and and a tick harder and more spin and more X Y Z. So um, you just got to hope, I guess, as a hitter. I don't really know shit about it, but um, you just got to hope as a hitter that adrenaline makes makes the bat head move a little faster, I guess, and, and clip something. But, you know, I, I think I was talking to somebody about 
the playoffs the other day. And the only way I could really explain it from whatever point of view is like sometimes in the playoffs, like you're playing blackjack, like you got to split Kings. Like you have to take like what you do well and like really try and make the big win. Right. And so you see a lot of these guys that, you know, the, the one for four with the Homer is a big deal in the playoffs. You know, it's a, it's a good day at the ballpark for a guy, but it's not like, Oh, he carried it. Like you hit the right Homer at the right time, or you make the, the one big pitch in trouble, like you win the momentum game. And, and that's a huge part of, of the playoffs. And for me, that was that analogy of like, yeah, I can have my Kings. I'll probably win or I'll split them and maybe I can win twice. I think that's a huge, huge part of, of playoff baseball. The, re- the reason I laughed when Jack asked that question about Brian Abreu and Ryan Presley is at this point in the postseason, all of these teams are so good and they have guys who we just marvel at that it's so hard to articulate a question to even ask, like, what makes Brian Abreu's 98 mile an hour heater with a slider right. so unhittable? And you're we like, no, it's like, I don't fucking know. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And that's, I feel like, just the continued thing. And a guy that, keeps eliciting that response to me when he he's on the mound especially in the playoffs is christian javier and i have been on the wrong side of him i love Sonny gray in that matchup against the astros at home in minnesota i know there was the glare but what do you take away from a guy who is just basically relying on two pitches rides his fastball and his slider obviously he's got the taste breaker curveball but and again, I don't even have a question for you other than how is he so good, Walker? What, what yeah. What's so good about him? But how do you think, operate like that with two pitches? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a really good uh, case study or example of like what Houston is doing to get to whatever the seventh CS in a row or, or whatever. They're, they're taking these guys that we don't generally see as like prototype for succeeding at the level that they are and and they find a way, whether it's how they scout or how they, you know, whatever, there's something going on inside that clubhouse in terms of from the pitching side where they're getting a lot out of guys that, um, you know, weren't first overall picks, right? Like it's one thing to get this skeins kid and he's really good and he's in the playoffs and he's really like, that's one thing. It's another thing to, if you look at some of the backstories of these guys and, what they signed for and now what they're doing. Like, it's pretty crazy. Framber's like that and uh, Javier was like that. So kind of not as as regarded as, I guess, their performance now would say. And so I guess, you know, it's another – I don't want to do another, you know, tip of the cap to Houston. Right. Um, I think it was Valdez was a $10,000 IFA guy when he was like 18 or 19. And then Javier was – kind of same deal like after his 16th birthday and he was like a 10 15,000 guy. Yeah. All right. Uh, again, we'll give you the opt out if you want it. Um I said Texas in 6 and I think the com- the cumulative final score is 1005 to 1004. I think everybody scores a ton of runs. Yeah. Um, cuz the offenses are just going to match each other. Peter, where are you at? And then Walker, you can tell us to f off or you can give us a number. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really want to pick the Rangers, you know, in six or seven. Um, I love the way Montgomery has been pitching. I love the way Evaldi has been pitching and the offense is just unconscious and they can beat anybody on any given day. But I've learned my lesson betting against <laughs> the Houston Astros. They're just inevitable. They have the infinity gauntlet and they just need another stone. I have the Astros in seven. I just, I can't pick against them. Provides. They're just, just going to keep doing it, right? We could talk about, oh, the Rangers, great starting pitching right now. The offense, Astros. I'm just Astros. Noted. I don't know when how many. Astros. You're in you're in ass-covering season. It's fine. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I would like to see the Rangers win. I don't know. You know, you've, you've kind of had these big performances, and then they're winning these games by a lot of runs, right? And. So you're kind of like curious, well, maybe are they still going to score like that when they don't have a lead or like when the starting pitcher doesn't have a great start? So, um, you know, things have kind of gone kind of gone perfectly for them. And so similar to what we are talking about Arizona, like if somebody gets punched in the face, what happens? But I think with with the age and the veterans that they have, I, I think they'll be able to handle it. You know, I think we obviously know Houston can and, and has. Um 
but no, I, you know, I want Texas to win. Yeah. And I, you want I just, Corey to go to the World Series. Yeah. I just have a deep, dark feeling that the starting pitching, right? Ivaldi versus Framber, Jordan Montgomery versus Verlander. It's going to be neck and neck. And then Chapman's going to. Then Chapman's going to come in against Jordan in a big spot, and I think uh-uh. we know how that's going to go. That's where I think the separator is here because both offenses are great, both starting pitchers are awesome. Yeah, but I think this series will be decided in the end of games, and I don't think Texas really had to use their bullpen against the Orioles when they were up by eight, seven runs every yeah. single game, and I think that's going to come back to bite them. I still think the Texas Rangers are a great team, but the Houston Astros are inevitable. We are getting closer to your charity golf outing. Um, what is prep looking like for that? Because it's what? It's yeah. November 10, November 11? No, the 12th and the 13th. So, um, yeah, we're pretty pretty full. Got a few guys coming in town to kind of play with some some teams. We let, we let them do four or five some this year. And then if you only had four, we're trying to bring in some guys to play and um, some former teammates and stuff. So that'll be fun, but. Um, you're, we're getting there and then putting together, we will do our, uh, our auction online again. So that'll all be done through my Instagrams or, you know, put up some, some game use stuff and some, you know, stuff you can't get, you know, at Dick Sporting Goods of, of mine and, um, maybe have a golf trip or two up there. So, um, yeah, it'll be cool. BuellerFamilyFoundation.org, but it'll all be on my Instagram if you guys follow me. And it'll all be linked in the episode description, too. I just have a question about the course. Uh, what's the course record, by the way, in case I roll through and just want to beat it? Um, I'm not sure. I don't play there much. I'm not a member there. We had to move it. So, um, unfortunately, they're fixing up my country club, so we couldn't do it there this year. But we're doing it at Keen Run, which is a cool course. They have – the membership there is actually pretty cool. There's You can join two courses, one of which they play the Barbasol at, which is a tour event. And then the other one is – is kind of a different, more of a fun course. They have like a nine hole par three at the turn. You walk it and it's pretty, it'll be, it'll be a good time. I love that. You know, I'm not worthy of uh, getting the course record when I mention, Oh, what's the course record? And Walker doesn't yeah, we didn't talk to shit to me. He doesn't yeah. even talk shit to me. He just goes on to, Oh, I'm not really sure, but it's a nice right. course. Kind of mean, but whatever. Yeah, we didn't need to address it. I'll just have to. Hey. <laughs> Dog has been active. Uh, Walker Bueller, appreciate you, man. Enjoy the week, and uh, we'll talk to you out of the World Series. Cool? Sounds good. Okay, we went team by team. We got series predictions uh, from you and from Walker. I said Phillies in five. You've got, what, Phillies in six? And Phillies in six. Yeah. Um, they start at the bank. And I before, also, yeah. I already want to change my Astros in seven, but I'm Dude. not gone. No, you got to stick with it. I'm going to stick. Houston has to lose three games for this to happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's going to be tough for them to happen. Then uh, and gonna... I think it's only 64%. In a CS, 64% of the time, the team that wins game one wins the series. So you're working with about 36% on your side. I'm fighting trends already. You're against the public. Good for you. <laughs> I don't think that's the public. <laughs> this is, uh, I guess... What precedent? Um, okay. Game one of the NLCS is at the bank. Before we get to the NLCS, you were at the end of the NLDS at the bank and you were at the Castellanos show. How was that? One of the best experiences of my life. And Phillies fans were so freaking nice, which I did not expect at all. Met a bunch of people who listened to the show. Shout out, you guys. Thank you for coming and introducing yourselves. But just generally, like, I was sitting at my seats, and there was Phillies fans all around me, too. Just really genuinely nice people, which you wouldn't expect from Philly scumbags. Like, I've called them, but damn, they were awesome. The atmosphere was incredible. The only way I can compare it, I can't compare it to any, right? I was in Fenway for Dodgers, Red Sox, in the World Series. This was rowdier. The only games I can compare it to are non-MLB games. They are the World Baseball Classic. I still think the rowdiest atmosphere that I've ever been in was Cuba versus the United States in the World Baseball Classic with all those different protests. And it felt like 50-50 in terms of USA jerseys versus Cuba jerseys, but an entire stadium. It was almost political. 
and then the final, and then this. The one thing that I was kind of surprised that Phillies fans haven't done yet was mess with the pitch clock, right? You see in the NBA or in college basketball, when they do eight, seven, five, six, five with the shot clock, they yeah. weren't doing it with the pitch timer. I was expecting them to do it against Strider. Maybe they will do it against Gallon, but the Strider chance when he left the mound, that place erupted. Yeah. And they are the 12th man. You have to account for them. It's something you can't quantify. And I got this great hat. Phillies fans were awesome. <laughs> Cheesesteaks were great. Stadium was beautiful. People were wonderful. Shout out the Phillies. Shout out the bank. They send Zach Wheeler against Zach Allen in mm. Philly for game mm. one. Mm. This is going to be freaking awesome. Awesome. So much fun. And Gallon, the fact that Gallon already has two starts this postseason under his belt makes me feel a lot better about his chances in this game in Philly. No if doubt. he had one and it was, you know, he started game three at home. No, he started game two in LA in the division series. Um, but I don't know if he had like a lower stress start in the DS and was coming into this situation. and was like, wow, this is a different environment than I've ever seen. And it still will be. Um, but I, I think he's a little bit more prepped for this with this being start three. And it's like, hey, this is, you know, notch number three on the journey to a World Series victory. Wheeler is going to feed off that energy. Wheeler, this is going to be a cl like close your eyes to blink. And it's the eighth inning type of start for Zach Wheeler. I think low scoring. I think the Phillies win on a couple of solo homers. Yeah, I I bet the Phillies at minus 145 as soon as the line came out. I was actually standing outside of Citizens Bank Park, and I was just waiting for the line. So oh, I want to see what happens. Phillies are minus 145. I bet them immediately. Now they're up to minus 170. They're big favorites in this game. Um, I wouldn't bet them at that price because I have too much respect for Gallon. I think Gallon's going to pitch really well. But I sent it out to my subscribers, Jack. You know what I said? Phillies, buddy, line minus 145. Wheeler in the bank. Good luck, D-backs. Yeah, And it has nothing to do with the D-backs. It has everything to do with that's a bad man on the mound. Yeah. And that's a bad place to play baseball when you're coming in new. Honestly, that it could be like. is different. It could, different. Be Randy, it could be Randy Johnson on the hill for the Diamondbacks. Like it could be Arizona Randy Johnson. It could be Pete Brandon Webb on the hill for the Diamondbacks and nothing is changing. It's And, and that doesn't mean the Diamondbacks can't win. Like I could eat crow. If Gallon outduels him, I'm just saying I cannot see the Diamondbacks winning in spite of beating Wheeler. They can maybe get to a bullpen arm, even though the Phillies, their back end got so good. I mean, Jeff Hoffman's a stud, Kirkering, Alvarado, Strom coming in at the end there against the Braves. Their bullpen is so strong, and they have so many good power bats. And Gallon does have his issues on the road, even though <laughs> on the road lately he hasn't given a shit about that. But that is the lesser version, and the only reason it's lesser is because he is unconscious at home. So they're going to get a really, really good pitcher. However, Strider was a really, really good pitcher. Yeah. It's hard to see the Phillies losing. I do think the Diamondbacks are going to keep this series competitive. Diamondbacks actually have decent numbers against Zach Wheeler and over 100 plate appearances, but the Phillies have decent numbers against Gallon too. I agree with you. I think it's going to be relatively low scoring. And I think the Phillies win. Homers? Are homers going to be the thing that decides it? Yeah. You know who has, uh, I was looking into it, you know who has really good numbers against Wheeler? Christian Walker. Christian Walker's five for 11, a couple bombs. Yeah, that could make some sense. Watch out for him. I also just can't say no to Corbin Carroll. Yeah. He could just catch one. I People might feel that the Diamondbacks, it's a little bit of uh, the Diamondbacks don't sleep on this team. No, people. never. They are really, really exciting and so much fun to watch. So much fun to watch. This is going to be a great series. I hope it goes seven.
And it starts tonight with an ace-off at the bank. We also have game two between Eovaldi and Fromber. We talked about that off the top. Give us the merch link, and then it's bedtime, baby. Absolutely. So get your just baseball merch. Unfortunately, we don't have these sick fanatic hats in there. But we got other cool ones in the episode link description. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit us with the subscribe button. Why not? Why not? How about a like? What about a comment? Would be awesome. We're going to read them. And if we said anything egregious, please let us know. Let us know your predictions down in the comments. And if you're listening on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, feel free, please, to leave a five-star review, written, or just click on that five-star button. We'll be back tomorrow, of course. That's Jack. I'm Peter. And with that, thank you, everybody.